Or you want to run the story? You got five hours until eight o'clock. You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Welcome to the Collegian Weekend Review. Here's your hosts, Maddie Welsh and Lauren Scott. You're listening to the Collegian Weekend Review on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. We're your hosts, Maddie Welsh and Lauren Scott. Today we'll be hearing from Rachel Keaty, who was just named the Outstanding Senior Woman of the Class of 2022. Then we'll hear from Logan Washburn about Key Opportunities, a local group dedicated to providing work opportunities for adults with disabilities. Next, we'll hear from Allie Hall and her thoughts on this year's Super Bowl halftime show. And finally, you'll hear from me about the Oxford comma. Now I have with me the 2022 Outstanding Senior Woman, Rachel Keaty. Tell me a little bit about how you're feeling about becoming the Outstanding Senior Woman. I'll say it's definitely exciting, but also on another level, very humbling in some sense, because it's something that your friends and your teachers and the people around you that you've interacted with thought that you would um, deserve that kind of award. So it's definitely like overwhelming, exciting, but at the same time, super humbling that when people say congratulations, you're like, yeah, thank you so much, because it's huge. Uh, I would say that's it. Could you ever have thought a few years ago that this is where you would be now? I would probably think I was the, I would have been the last person actually <laughs> to get this. Well, okay, so my first day, I was somehow like super terrified because I kind of just landed all the way from Kenya to this school and not so many things are that familiar actually very little things are familiar and um, I probably might have zoned out through the orientation because I was jet lag and everything and everything was scary so to like have stood that time and say like I would be in this position that was not quite in the picture you know so it's like this one thing that just happened now but I don't know it just I think to me it would explain like the growth I've undergone through this environment like from a level of uh, being uncomfortable to being comfortable to be there to live in a community and to love it so much and um, for people to actually realize to nominate you to that position. It's like this, like a huge growth process that has happened in such a short period of time, but owing to so many people around me um, for their efforts and for their love. So what brought you to Hillsdale in the first place? Before coming to Hillsdale, actually, there are other women who have been coming to this school for at least 10 years now. And so I had interacted with some of them before and actually interacted with some of their works that they do back in the country or also how they help other college students with the application process and um, just getting to see how much they speak about the school and the things they've learned from the environment. I thought that it's a good place to apply to and coming here it's definitely not disappointing. It's exactly what they spoke about it and from personal experience I would say even more. So what have been sort of your biggest takeaways from your years at Hillsdale or you know the biggest lessons you've learned? I think for me, I would say community. Like there's, I think community is the most effective means to a quality living, you know. Like you can definitely get any education anywhere else. I was talking about this earlier today uh, with someone. And you can get like the class knowledge anywhere. Like every school does its best to give people the knowledge that they need in particular field. And if you confirm like how they, like the content they teach, it might be the same. But I think 
what's unique about like being at Hillsdale is the community that makes it all the difference, you know. It's like what you learn and you get to live it in community and how you interact with your professors and um, how you communicate to your, to your fellow students and the kind of conversation that actually are life-changing. They're the ones that happen outside class when you when a friend of yours just starts about thinking about something and you all try to discuss about things that you probably don't have answers to, but you're just engaging your brain into thinking these kind of things. And I think community is such like an important part of Hillsdale because even I would say the uniqueness of Hillsdale in terms of character is because of the community. You know, you cannot build character outside people. You have to be build it within people. And you have to teach freedom when there is a community. You have to teach, like, learning has to happen in a community. And I'm mentioning the four pillars of Hillsdale College, which I think they don't stand independent of the community. Like, you need the community for all these things to happen. And I think that's a unique thing about Hillsdale. And whether you understand it or not, once you're here, the people around you, they live out that. So somehow you become one of them, which is, it's not something you... You can say, like, I sit down today to choose, become, like, so-and-so or the community I live in. But it's the community, it's what you experience and you become part of it, like, automatically. Like, your mind, your soul, your heart is, like, molded to this Hillsdale version of it, which is beautiful. So what was the process to becoming the Outstanding Senior Woman? I know that there were, like, ap- like interviews and such. Tell me about that. Um. Okay, so Outstanding Senior Woman. Okay, so what happens is the senior class... They they choose, they nominate people, so everyone gets a chance to nominate two women they think they're outstanding, two men they think they're standing. So you just like select whoever you want, uh, and then the top four they get to the fi- they they get to be the finalists. And so after that, now it's faculty to do the the final voting. So then the four go ahead and. It's like you just like fill in some informational form so that your professor knows at least your major and stuff like that because you've technically been nominated by your friends and your peers. So sometimes not all the professors knows where know where where you're coming from on campus. So um so you just write something a little bit about Hillsdale and about yourself so that they know who you are and yeah then they do the last voting. So I would say the process is not. We didn't get interviewed at all. so it, And that's why I'm saying it carries so much weight and such a humbling thing because it's something that you don't work for, you know. And it's not like you see yourself there. It's like you are, <laughs> once you're nominated already, it's like a huge thing because you're like, oh my goodness, you think I'm outstanding. That is like, you know, it's like so humbling in the first place. And then when you get to the next round and you're like your professors and staff, they also endorse you it's like this huge thing you're like i it's not like you apply you it's not like it's not like you strive for it you know it's like just this thing that's given to you it's like a gift i like the word gift so i think it's like a gift given to you well thank you for coming on rachel yeah you're welcome i'm glad you're listening to the collegian week in review I'm here with Logan Washburn, the City News Editor, and Logan wrote an article about um, the organization Key Opportunities. So tell me a little bit about this organization, Logan. Yeah, so it's a really cool group. They were started by a group of parents in the 1970s um, who had children with disabilities. Um, I believe they were adult children with disabilities. 
but they began this organization to give them work experience and to give them the opportunity to really experience the rewards of hard work. Well, what is the main focus of this group? The main focus is to get them out into the workforce and to give them opportunities to connect with one another and the community as a whole. What kind of work do these adults do? So they have a couple different settings. The first setting is what they originally started out with, and that is the factory setting. They make products such as fire starters, um, and they make custom wood pallet signs. So they do a lot of really cool innovative stuff there. They also work in the food service industry with a chef's program. So they operate the old building that used to be Burgers Unlocked, and they host monthly dinners there. Does this organization, um, do they partner with anyone? They reach out to local businesses and they offer their participants in the program after they've been trained to help with staffing. I understand that Key Opportunities hosted an event um, last week. Do you mind telling me a little bit about that event? It was really a great event. Um, As soon as you walk in the door, you are greeted by some really kind, hospitable participants. They show you to a table and, um, you know, behind the scenes, they're really producing a very high quality meal. And it's really all about giving the participants an experience in this kind of situation so that they can go out into the broader world and provide that kind of service. Tell me a little bit about the participants who have moved on from this program. Um, Have they been successful? Yeah, they're very successful. Um, And that's partially due to the program because they have a process where they call it fading. Um, They fade in and out um, depending on what the participant needs. And so that's something that's very helpful, but it's also something to credit to the participants because they put themselves through this program and then they have to make the individual decision to stick with this employment and to really give it their all. And I think a lot of them do that. And a lot of the local restaurants and local businesses are very thankful for that. Did you have the opportunity to talk to any of the family members um, who are related to any of the participants? I actually did. I spoke to a father of one of the participants, well, of two participants, one of whom was serving at the Burgers Unlocked event. Um, He said it was really a great opportunity for both of his sons to get involved in the community and make friends, but also to get work experience. Um, One of them got a job at Market House here in Hillsdale, and another works down at the local library. And so he was very thankful to Key Opportunities for helping facilitate that, and um, he was very proud of his sons. Do you know how many um, participants are in Key Opportunities? Yeah, they work with about 120 participants um, in both of their settings combined. Thank you so much for joining us today, Logan. Thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed talking about this. Radio Free Hillsdale's The Collegian Week in Review continues. Here we have Allie Hall, who is the assistant culture editor of The Collegian. This week, she wrote a story about the halftime show at the Super Bowl this past weekend. Allie, tell us a little bit about this story and your thoughts on the show. Well, I love the show, which I didn't know it was controversial until I started reading about it and everybody seemed to have thoughts. I thought it was an excellent show and probably one of the best ones we've had in a really long time. I wasn't really a fan of the one last year with The Weeknd. I thought it was artistically kind of cool, but... I mean, you know, I can't feel my face is not really the song you want to A, listen to with your parents while you're watching like a football game. It didn't feel like the right setting for him. Um, but this one they, they pulled out with a huge array of artists from a bunch of different generations. And I thought that was much more interesting than finding one focal point of an artist and doing an entire show around them. So it was very much like a shared space. 
a shared genre um, that spanned over different generations. So I liked it. There's a tribute to Tupac in it. Um, it was really good. How do you think it compares to previous halftime shows, like in the past few years? Well, I thought it was better. I There was some joke someone made online that the people who hated this halftime show probably really liked the one with Coldplay or Maroon 5, which is pretty funny because they're very different shows, I think, for very different audiences. But this one had so many different layers to it that I appreciated more than just, you know, Katy Perry and some blow up dolphins. This one, the set was all designed to look like Compton. There were different homages to different parts of the town. And all the different artists, I think, performed their hits. So it was sort of a nostalgia fest. But I thought it was far more creative. I don't think anything was groundbreaking or original. But, I mean, when you talk about the term original, you're talking about some of the most original artists who started the rap and hip-hop genre. So I guess in that way, it is very original. But I liked this one much more than the past shows that I've seen in my short lifespan. In the story, you talk about how it's sort of a historic performance. So tell me a little bit more about that. Historic, I think, in the sense of there were two different points in which Tupac was honored, which is actually Eminem took a knee during one part of his performance, which when I was watching, I did not associate that with Colin Kaepernick. I associated that with the fact that Dr. Dre was performing like an, a throwback song. It was honoring Tupac, and it was very clear that Eminem was not <laughs> you know, the star of that stage at that time. And I don't think Eminem has specifically come out and said that that's what he was doing. I don't think it's too far off to assume that's what he was doing. But I think that this show acquired a bunch of different artists from a time in which isn't forgotten. Like the 90s rap scene and the 90s hip hop, R&B, G-funk, all of the derivatives of hip hop, this is their origin. And so it was historic in the sense that it brought all of the figures who have formed modern music and specifically modern hip hop. And it brought them all in one stage and they were all sharing it. And there was so many, like I keep saying, like there were so many layers to the performance that I don't think when you watch it once, you really understand. But the more you look into it, the more details kind of come up. And you said this was kind of a controversial performance. Tell me a little bit more about, you know, the controversy there and where you stand on it. I think the controversy is just that it's rap music and rap music is always going to create sort of a polarized um, audience reaction. I think people who are really into rap and hip hop loved this performance, and I think that's a lot of people. Um, controversy, I think, mostly comes from the fact that Eminem took a knee, which once again, like I said, I didn't even notice or kind of assume that was in stance with Colin Kaepernick. It literally just seemed like part of the performance. You know, he stood down while Dr. Dre kind of came back on the stage again. But, I, I, and also he wasn't kneeling during the national anthem, he was kneeling during like a Tupac song. So I didn't personally see where the controversy generated a bunch of heat. And truthfully, I don't think it's as controversial as people like to make things like this seem. But I mean, I thought it was, I thought it was a great performance. I really enjoyed it. Well, thank you for coming on, Allie. Thank you for having me. The Collegian Weekend Review continues. I am here with Maddie Welsh, the assistant city news editor, and she wrote an article about the Oxford comma. Maddie, why don't you tell me a little bit more about this article? Yeah, so I came up with the idea of this very randomly. Um, I was just talking to the features editor and I was like, what if I wrote something about the Oxford comma? Thinking that she would probably say, that's stupid. Don't do that. But then she was like, no, that would be great. 
So then I started doing it because I am very passionate about the Oxford comma. Um, you know, as said, I'm an editor. I love editing. I love grammar. And part of that is punctuation. Love punctuation. Um, and this is, you know, it's a very controversial topic in the world of editing and, you know, grammar enthusiasts, as you, if you will. Um, so, yeah, I'm very passionate about it. Why, why is it controversial? So there's two basic ideas about the Oxford comma. So um, if you're not aware, the Oxford comma is the last comma in a series of three or more items. So, you know, if you say, I love the colors red, white, and blue, there would be a comma after white, between white and blue. So that's what the Oxford comma is. It's controversial because there are people who um, think that you know, you shouldn't use punctuation marks or anything if it's not absolutely necessary for what you're saying, for the clarity of what you're saying. Um, but then people who are pro-Oxford comma think that you should use it just because it always clears up any ambiguity in the sentence. Um, typically, the people who are not as for it are in the journalism world. Most journalistic styles of writing do not use the Oxford comma, um, including AP style, which is the most widely followed journalistic style in the United States. But you know, academic styles such as, as you might guess, the Oxford Press style. Although actually, recently they stopped using the Oxford comma, which is another very controversial thing in the world of grammar. Yeah, it, a lot of academic sources use it when a lot of journalistic sources don't. So that's really where the controversy comes from. Can you give me a few examples where the lack of the Oxford comma has caused a bit of confusion? Yes. So I talked about this in the story. There was a legal case. I believe it cl it started in 2014. It ended in 2018. But basically, there was this group of drivers for a dairy company in Maine. And um, there's very specific law in Maine about um, receiving overtime pay. So all workers are supposed to receive time and a half pay for any hour worked over 40 hours of work, um, with a few exceptions. And the exceptions are in the law. Um, and these exceptions, uh, the list of them, the last two items are not separated by a comma, which caused a lot of confusion. The way it was read, it sounded like the driver should have been paid overtime pay for the work that they were doing, but they hadn't been paid by the company because the company didn't intend for that to be the case. But the way it was read, because of the ambiguity caused by the lack of the comma, it seemed like they should have been paid over time. So the drivers actually won the case and were paid out by the company. Um, and since then, the law in Maine has been changed. It now does have a comma there. You interviewed a few professors who had some differing views. Do you mind sharing those views with me? So I talked to a few English professors as well as two of the journalists and professors. Um, and for the most part, the English professors, it's actually interesting. There was not a departmental divide. Um, two of the English professors I talked to were avidly pro-Oxford comma. One was for it, but not, you know, as passionate about it as the others. And then um, the journalism professors, Mr. Miller, who's the head of the department, he is absolutely for it. And then uh, Mrs. Servold, who is the assistant director of the department, is for it when it's absolutely necessary. So she has more of the um, sort of traditional view in the journalism world that, you don't always need it, but if it makes the sentence more clear, use it. So, yeah, for the most part, there were some interesting arguments when it came to 
defending the Oxford comma. For example, Dr. Jason Peters, who's in the English department, he argued for its beauty. He said that it actually is prettier on the page and that's why we should use it, which is not an argument I've heard before. So I really liked that. Um, Dr. Lindley had the more nuanced view of the English professors. He said you should use it if it's necessary. But he also made a very interesting argument about the changeability of language and how, you know, the English language is always changing. That's just the nature of it. And he mentioned that, you know, Shakespeare spelled his own name differently each time he wrote it. So, you know, obviously following strict rules is not absolutely necessary for excellent writing or else, you know, Shakespeare wouldn't be excellent because he wasn't following strict rules. So that was Dr. Lindley's argument. Um, but sort of as a response to that, Mr. Miller, he talked about, yes, language changes, but we change it. We are actively changing it as we are writing and as we are, you know, using certain words and certain functions of grammar. And so if this is a change that we should make, he said, and, you know, it's because it makes language more clear and more understandable. So, yes, language changes, but we're changing it and we can choose how to change it. Thank you for joining us today, Maddie. I really enjoyed talking with you. Absolutely. You have been listening to the Collegian Weekend Review with your hosts, Lauren Scott and Maddie Welsh. You can find the Collegian on Instagram at hdalecollegian, or you can find us online at hillsdalecollegian.com. Once again, you've been listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.